Living for God can be a frustrating business sometimes. Maybe even a lot of the time. It can be frustrating because often it seems people who don't live for God are much better off. They often seem to be happier, healthier, and wealthier. They seem to get away with deceit and dishonesty and untrustworthiness. In fact, they seem to live that way and not just get away with it, they prosper. While on the other hand, trying to be honest and trustworthy and obedient to God, that doesn't seem to get you anywhere. In fact, it might even make your situation worse. Now, you and I might not think along those lines all of the time, but most of us have probably had those kind of thoughts. Why do the wicked not just get away with wickedness, why do they prosper in their wickedness? In fact, this is such a common question for God's people. It always has been. It's such a common concern that the Bible deals with this in a few different places. And this evening, we're going to look at one of those places. We're going to turn to Psalm 37. If you're using a church Bible, it's page 563, and in the large print, 872. And we'll read the whole of Psalm 37. Of David, do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong, for like the grass they will soon wither, like green plants they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture, take delight in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn. Your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways. When they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed. But those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose ways are upright. But their swords will pierce their own hearts, and their bows will be broken. 
Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The blameless spend their days under the Lord's care, and their inheritance will endure forever. In times of disaster, they will not wither. In days of famine, they will enjoy plenty, but the wicked will perish Though the Lord's enemies are like the flowers of the field, they will be consumed. They will go up in smoke. The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. Those the Lord blesses will inherit the land, but those he curses will be destroyed. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. I was young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken. Are their children begging bread? They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. Turn from evil and do good. Then you will dwell in the land forever. For the Lord loves the just and will not forsake his faithful ones. Wrongdoers will be completely destroyed. The offspring of the wicked will perish. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouths of the righteous utter wisdom and their tongues speak what is just. The law of their God is in their hearts. Their feet do not slip. The wicked lie in wait for the righteous intent on putting them to death. But the Lord will not leave them in the power of the wicked or let them be condemned when brought to trial. Hope in the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are destroyed, you will see it. I have seen a wicked and ruthless man flourishing like a luxuriant native tree. But he soon passed away and was no more. Though I looked for him, he could not be found. Consider the blameless, observe the upright. A future awaits those who seek peace. But all sinners will be destroyed. There will be no future for the wicked. The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. This is God's word. This psalm is about the frustration of God's people. We have to say as we read through it, the poem itself can be frustrating to us. Because if we're looking for a clear step-by-step progression, we will be frustrated. Why isn't this going anywhere? It feels like it's going around in circles. Well, in fact, it is going somewhere. But as this psalm moves forward, it cycles back through the same themes. The heading of the psalm tells us that David wrote it. And David keeps coming back to the same points. One of the reasons for that is that this is an acrostic poem. In Hebrew, the lines are divided into groups. The first word in each group begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. 
Now, since we're reading this in English, we don't need to worry about the acrostic. It doesn't come across in translation. But knowing that the poem was written that way, that does help us. Because we know that as David writes, he's following a set pattern. The order in the psalm comes from the letters of the alphabet, not from here's point one, here's point two. Another reason this poem cycles around the same points is because that's what we need when we're angry and agitated. Think about the last time you were worked up about something. Did it help you to have people saying, just calm down? No, probably not. That's because when you're worked up, you need to calm down gradually. And that's what this psalm is here for. That's why it returns to the same things over and over. Many of the psalms are addressed to God. But this one is addressed to us. And it's here to lead us in stages, slowly, from agitation to peace. When deep-sea divers come back to the surface, they have to do it in stages. You can't just rock it up from the pressure of the ocean floor to fresh air at the surface. And so divers go through gradual decompression. Well, this psalm is like spiritual decompression. It's for people who are frustrated about the way things are in the world. They feel frustrated and pressurized by everything that they see and hear. And so for all of its cycling back around on itself, there is progress in this psalm. When you and I get to the end, if we've been paying attention, we won't be in the same place we started from. We will be decompressed from our frustration and our agitation. And there are three stages here. First of all, make God your focus and look ahead. Second, count on God's care and look ahead. Third, live by God's wisdom and look ahead. So first of all, in verses 1 to 11, make God your focus and look ahead. Verse 1 says, do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. The words fret and be envious both have the sense of getting heated, getting worked up, hot under the collar. David knows you and I can't just switch off that kind of agitation. He knows we need to focus on something or someone else. And so he encourages us to turn our focus away from those prosperous wrongdoers we're looking at and to focus on the Lord instead. In verse 3, he says, trust in the Lord. In verse 4, take delight in the Lord. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Verse 7, be still before the Lord. When you and I turn on the news or pick up a paper and it seems like good is being called evil and evil is being called good, 
when it seems like evildoers and imposters are going from bad to worse in the world, when it seems people who want to live godly lives are being persecuted, when you feel your anger and frustration rising over all that, David says, turn your focus to God. Verse 3 says, not only trust him, but as you trust him, do good. Trust him enough, David says, to do what he says. In the NIV, verse 3 also says, dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. A better translation might be, dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. In other words, the point in the second part of the verse is the same point as the first half of the verse. Trust God enough to do what he says. Verse 4, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. If our focus is on God, then we're going to want more of him. He will be the desire of our heart. And there's always more of him to know. There's always more we can receive from him. The antidote to fretting about evildoers is to go after God. And going after him means giving him our attention. To do that, we have to set other things aside regularly. Sometimes we have to switch off devices and screens. Although maybe I don't have the right audience to talk about devices and screens. But we have to find ways to be still before him. That's what verse 7 says, be still. Wait patiently for him. You and I can't allocate ourselves five minutes a day for God time and expect that he's going to become our delight. Five minutes of God time just isn't enough to calm our agitation and get our focus in the right place. We've got to make more space than that. Five minutes a day is a good amount of time for brushing your teeth, but it's not enough time for delighting in the Lord. We said this psalm has themes that keep coming back. And probably the main one that keeps coming back is the theme of needing to look ahead. As you and I focus on God and God's plans, we will find ourselves doing that. We'll be reminded what's to come for God's people and what's to come for everyone else. In verse 2, David says, Those who do wrong are like the grass. They will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Their prosperity and success is not going to last. And so why would we envy them? Why would we fret when their wicked schemes seem to be succeeding? In verse 9, David says, those who are evil will be destroyed. Then in verse 10, a little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. 
So then what about God's people? What's ahead for us? Verse 6. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Verse 11. The meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. What does David mean when he talks about inheriting the land? He says it six times in this psalm. Well, it's a way of saying, in the end, the wicked will be gone. They will be cleared from the picture. And God's faithful people will inherit it all. Earlier, we read from Matthew chapter 5. You might have noticed in that passage, the Beatitudes, Jesus quotes this verse from Psalm 37. But you may have noticed too, Jesus widens out the reward. He says the meek will inherit not just the land of Israel, but the earth. God has promised to create new heavens and a new earth. That inheritance will only be for God's people. When you and I find ourselves agitated by the state of things today, we have to make God our focus. And we have to look ahead to the future realities that are coming. And then comes stage two in our spiritual decompression. In verses 12 to 26, if we're going to move from agitation to peace, we need to know we can count on God's care. And we also need to keep looking ahead. These verses describe the righteous being under threat in different ways. Verse 12, the wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. Verse 14, the wicked draw the sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose ways are upright. God's people are under fire here. The emphasis is not just on the wicked having success anymore. Now they're actually targeting God's people. David certainly experienced real swords being drawn against him. And real bows. We've seen that on Sunday mornings recently. And many of God's people today know what that's like too. You and I probably don't. But we do know about lesser forms of attack, don't we? In verse 16, David speaks about the righteous having little. Sometimes our commitment to God means we miss out on material things. If we refuse to play along with dishonesty at work, we might be overlooked because of that. We might even be pushed out. The book of Revelation speaks to Christians in the city of Smyrna. And we're told those Christians were in poverty. Part of the reason for that was they couldn't get jobs. They couldn't get jobs because they couldn't join the trade guilds. 
The trade guilds included worship of false gods. If the Christians refused to participate in that, then they couldn't join the guild and it was very hard to get work. There are similar things to that today. How easy is it for Christians in politics today? Or in the media? There are some, I know. But I can't imagine how hard it is to stay faithful to God in those kind of environments. The pressure to compromise their faith must be enormous. It might soon be the same for teachers and plenty of other kinds of work. In certain parts of the world, poverty is almost guaranteed if you're a Christian. In the country of Iran, for example, 80% of the economy in Iran is run by the Islamic government. The best jobs in Iran are always going to go to Muslims. The best business contracts are always going to go to Muslims. For many of God's people, daily life means discrimination. And it means poverty. But, David says, in those situations, we can still count on God's care. Verse 18. The blameless spend their days under the Lord's care. The blameless here are those who belong to God. They're also called the righteous in this psalm. And the sense is not that these people are perfect. It's that they live for God and not for wickedness. That's the distinction. David says those men and women can count on God's care. In terms of material things, they might only have a little. But, verse 19, in times of disaster, they will not wither. In days of famine, they will enjoy plenty. Obviously, plenty here might not necessarily mean lots of stuff or lots of food. How do we know that? Because these are the same people from verse 16 the people who only have a little. So the point is, God will care for them. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul described himself as having nothing and yet possessing everything. What did he mean? How can you have nothing and everything at the same time? The answer is, Paul knew that even in material poverty, God's people are rich. We're under his care. Look at verse 23. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Even if God is all that we have, we have plenty. What we've just seen helps us to understand verse 25. David says, I was young and now I am old, 
Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. If we read this verse by itself, we might take it as a promise. It says God's people will never beg for bread. But we've seen David knows the righteous can end up having very little. What he's saying here is he has never seen them begging for bread. What David has seen and experienced is that God provides for his people. That's what he can testify from his own experience. So this is not a promise that no child of God will ever have to beg. But David is saying, I've never seen it. I've seen the righteous end up with very little, but they've always had enough. And even out of their poverty, verse 26, they're able to be generous to others. No matter how bad things seem, God's people can count on his care. He knows our needs and he will supply all our needs. We may miss out in terms of material things. But if that happens, we can still say, I have nothing and yet I possess everything. I have God himself. In the first part of this psalm, we saw the emphasis on looking ahead. And we find it here in the second section too. Look back to verse 12. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked. For he knows their day is coming. Their day means the judgment day. The day when all wrongs will be put right. When justice will be seen to be perfect and complete. And incidentally, saying God laughs at the wicked is another way of saying he is not threatened by them. He's not unsettled by them the way we often are. He's in control. Verse 17 says the power of the wicked will be broken. And then in verse 20, the wicked will perish. Though the Lord's enemies are like the flowers of the field, they will be consumed. They will go up in smoke. When you and I look ahead to that day that's just been described for us, how can we envy the wicked? How can we get worked up about their success here and now? Count on God's care and keep looking ahead. And finally, Psalm 37 says, Live by God's wisdom and look ahead. Verse 27 Turn from evil and do good, then you will dwell in the land forever. For the Lord loves the just. And will not forsake his faithful ones. Verse 30. 
The mouths of the righteous utter wisdom, and their tongues speak what is just. The law of their God is in their hearts. Their feet do not slip. The law of God is referring to all scripture. It means God's instruction. That's where we find wisdom. The person who lives wisely is going to be the person who immerses him or herself in God's instruction. They don't just read it, they take it in. They feed on it until it gets into their heart and it begins to direct their actions. That is the key to living wisely. But notice, living wisely doesn't necessarily mean we will be popular. Verse 32, the wicked lie in wait for the righteous, intent on putting them to death. But the Lord will not leave them in the power of the wicked or let them be condemned when brought to trial. There will always be those who hate God's wisdom and they hate those who try to live by God's wisdom. But in the end, God will vindicate his people. Even if lawmakers and judges turn against his people, in the end, God will vindicate them. So many of the Bible's promises are about what will happen in the end. This is not a guarantee we'll be justly and fairly treated on every occasion in this life. But it is a promise that in the end, God's justice will prevail. And so whatever our circumstances, verse 34 says, hope in the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are destroyed, you will see it. Verse 37. Consider the blameless. Observe the upright. A future awaits those who seek peace. Live by God's wisdom and look ahead. Don't be confused or sidetracked by the success of the wicked. Stay on the path that leads to life. Stay on the course that has a future. And don't forget where the wicked are headed. The second half of verse 28. Wrongdoers will be completely destroyed. The offspring of the wicked will perish. Verse 35. I have seen a wicked and ruthless man flourishing like a luxuriant native tree. But he soon passed away and was no more. Though I looked for him, he could not be found. Verse 38. All sinners will be destroyed. There will be no future for the wicked. This psalm is saying, don't judge things by how they look today. Look ahead. There's a future for God's people. There's no future for God's enemies. No matter how safe and secure they seem today. It 
Psalm 37 has brought the same points home to us over and over. It's done that because it knows we don't easily set aside our agitation. We can't just flick a switch and settle our hearts in a moment. We need to decompress by letting the truth sink in. And when you and I take time to do that, when we take time to be still before the Lord and come back to reality, look where we end up. Verse 39. The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. The Lord is our salvation, our stronghold. He's our deliverer and our refuge. What reason do we have to be agitated about our enemies? Why would we fret over the prosperity of the wicked? How could we ever envy them? This is a psalm to come back to any time we're losing our peace. We're going to close our time together by responding to what we've heard. We're going to sing, Be still, my soul. The Lord is on your side.